Lewis. Walter makes a run ahead of it. Burkamp suddenly changed pace through the centre. It's Burkamp! That's magnificent! The move, and then this, which left Dabby's ass totally stranded. Hello, and welcome to our Back at Monday, the Arsenal podcast. My name is Carl, and today we are going to discuss... Yeah, we've got no choice. We're going to have to discuss it, unfortunately. The pits and the perils that is Arsenal. You know, there are some good points and bad points, but we're going to try and make it as happy as humanly possible. And to make this happy, there is no better person to have on this podcast than John. How are you, John? Well, as you can see, listeners, or the people who are watching live, sorry, I should say, if you're only listening, Danny and Carl were both in black, because apparently they're in mourning. I'm wearing white, which apparently, you know, some people might say surrendering. You know, it's the colour of surrender. I'm, I'm using it as a, as a cheery colour. Um, I'm all right. I was very down, obviously, after Monday night. But, um, yeah, a bit of time has passed now, and I don't feel as bad about it. Still disappointed, but miracles can happen. You never know. John, if this miracle happens, <laughs> I promise you, I will buy a white top with a chicken and bouncing on a ball with my name on the back. If that miracle happens, I promise you. <laughs> oh, look, I'm, not, I'm not expecting it, but you, you never know. You never know. If there's one yeah. team that can do it, yeah, and that's the saving grace, isn't it? Like, if there's one team that could mess this up, it is mm. that team. Um, after many, many hours of moaning, saying, oh, I've done too many podcasts and I don't want to come on, and he's going to moan about saying that, hey, put it all in our groups and no one responding. He's going to kick us all out and we're all fired. He's managed to make it. Hello, Danny. Hello, Hello, John, and hello, Carl. It doesn't account for you two because you two are my favourites, so you two get away with murder, and you know you do, you cheeky scamps. said that about Josh the other day as well. Didn't Ginger Scumbag, him in his stupid cup. He's yeah. moving, isn't he? He's moving away. He is. He is. He made his electric car, and Chief's trying to um, convince me to get one. No, I'm diesel, gas guzzler for life. Did you pick Maybe. your new vehicle? Uh, not yet, but I know which one I want. Oh, what are you going to go for? Is it a surprise? No, I want a, I want a GLE. I've got a GLC at the moment, and now I want an upgrade, a bigger car, GLE. Because you need that for you and all your... No, it's just you, isn't it? And all your pets, family members, nothing. You just want to be Billy Big Bulls driving around the, the streets of London going, look at me, everybody, get out of my way. Technically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, Daniel... Daniel, I'm going to start with you, um, because we have to talk about it, don't we, unfortunately. Um, after the Spurs result, you know, we were kind of really down, weren't we? well, I was at least anyway. Um, if I'm really honest, did I expect to beat Spurs? Probably not. Um, they were playing quite well under, under Conte, and we just didn't show up uh, to that game. You know, we had injuries as well. So going into the Newcastle game, you would have thought that, you know, it's kind of all or nothing, ironically. Um, so, you know, you're thinking to yourself, you know, we've got to show up, we've got to try and play. And there were so many rumours about the starting lineup, who was going to play, was Gabriel going to be fit, was Ben White going to be fit? Um, 
who was there. So when you saw the starting lineup and you saw both Gabrielle and Ben White in the starting lineup, was you more optimistic that we'd get a result at Newcastle? I'd have been optimistic we were going to get a result no matter what the lineup was. But then when I saw those two, I thought, hey, uh, there's Arteta. He, he's uh, he's bowled everyone a googly. He's, he's tricked everyone into thinking, uh, Gabriel, you go down, pretend you're injured. And then, uh, as we know, Gabriel went off injured. Did, I think, did he have, not injured, yeah. I think he uh, um, had a niggle or something like that. And Ben White, you could see the bloke was absolutely shattered by half time. And, and we saw later in the game, poor Ben White was there one on one with two of their, two of their players. And then after that, I would, the bloke needed to lay down and, and have some smelling salts waved at him because he did an outstanding job for someone who obviously wasn't match fit. But then looking at that line, I, I don't, I'd have thought we would have beat Newcastle anyway. They got smashed 5-0 by Man City the week before. And then I watched the game and I thought, these are nothing. They've given up. They've got their flip-flops on. They're on the, they've got their toes in the sand. They're drinking martinis. And life is good. They've avoided relegation because I think they won. They drew one. They lost eight out of their first nine Premier League games and the other one they drew or some number like that. And that just that usually means you're going down. And there's that, that thing, isn't there? But whoever's in the bottom three at Christmas or bottom at Christmas, I think they were quite close to that. Then Eddie Howe comes in, buys Bruno, who was a magnificent player, turns it all round. But that's why I thought they, they wouldn't really bother. And then you, you couldn't account for a bloke coming and getting man of the match who played 22 minutes the game before this. And then before that, he hadn't played since mid-December. And then if that was an Arsenal player, it would take 10 games to come back and get a goal. He comes back as a performance like that. And then some, sometimes you just have to look at it and go, tiny squad, they've given their all. They, they've run out of gas. They've run out of pep. They've run out of diesel, Carl. That's what they've done. And and we can't blame them. They've given it all. It's not their fault. It's the manager's fault. It's Edu's fault for not getting in reinforcements. But... To get back to your question, I was fully confident that we were going to smash them. John, was you the same? Um, <clears throat> I wasn't as confident as Danny. I thought um, before the lineup, obviously, we had worries about who was going to be fit and available. When I saw the lineup, I was happy but concerned at the same time because it felt like um, and was pretty evident when watching the game, you know, that Ben White probably wasn't fully fit and maybe there was a hint that Gabrielle wasn't. Um, could Tommy Assey do another game so quickly uh, since coming back from the long period of time he was out? Um, and Newcastle have been really good. Like Their home form's amazing uh, since Eddie Howe's come in. He has really, really turned them around. And they have got good players. Like, I know they were terrible at the start of the season, but a lot of that I put down to Steve Bruce. Um, and I think if you speak to most of their fans, they'd say the same thing. You know, Joe Linton has completely changed where he plays now and looks like a really good midfielder. Bruno came in, he's been excellent. Um, they've sorted out their back line. Not that they had like terrible defenders. And like Danny said, I was not expecting Callum Wilson to one, play that well and two, last that long after how long he'd been out. So... Yeah, look, they went out with a point to prove last home game of the season. I know typically when teams are safe after a relegation fight, they kind of don't really turn up for the last few, but it feels like they've got a real momentum at the moment. Um, the fans are really buying into it. The club as a whole sort of, you know, is obviously going in the right direction if you're a Newcastle fan. And I think quite a few of those players were also thinking, probably thinking to themselves, there's going to be a lot of investment in this club over the over the summer, and I want to be part of what's going forwards. This is my last chance in a home game to prove myself. Um, 
Oh, we just looked like fucking knackered. Just the players looked exhausted, like they had nothing left. I mean, yeah, the momentum was definitely with Newcastle. Like you said, John, the last home game of the season where you want your um, home fans to go away with a smile. Again, and I totally, totally agree with you what you said about there's going to be a lot of investment in Newcastle and these players are probably thinking, I want to be part of this. So I am literally going to play my heart out and try and keep my place because I, I want to be part of whatever the experiment is going to be at Newcastle, whatever the investment is going to be at Newcastle. People, you know, are probably still fighting for their place for next season. And like you said, Newcastle, I think they've only lost, or they've only dropped points to Man City at home. And is it Man United, I want to say? I think they drew Man United. Apart from that, they've done really well since Eddie Howe's come in. So I, I didn't think it was going to be an easy game, but I thought to myself, we have to beat Newcastle. And surely the players would have been up for it. Um, you could see from the first kind of 10 minutes, Newcastle were literally beating us to every second ball. They were hurrying us. They were closing down. And I think, I can't remember if it was you or Josh in our group that said, this won't last. Like, Newcastle will burn themselves out. But they didn't seem to. They, they, they carried on. And I think it was more us giving the um, impetus to them as well because we were playing slack. I think we had... Our passing was just off. We couldn't tackle. Um, didn't help that Aaron Ramsdale had a few hiccup moments in the first half that obviously didn't cost us a goal. But, you know, he, he was playing a bit too casually, which I didn't like. And I remember saying, I think Femi said it a while ago, where he said, um, Aaron Ramsdale may need to be dropped. And even I was against it. I was like, no, nah, no, nah, he doesn't. But, you know, we'll get on to Aaron Ramsdale a bit later. But, you know, Newcastle saw the mistakes in us and they were thinking to themselves, you know, is there a possibility they could get something here? Um, and, you know, in the first half, we we didn't play the best, but I thought that we matched them. I mean, if you can go in, um, if you can go into the um, halftime, nil-nil, you think to yourself, okay, regroup at halftime, because you thought, okay, Arteta's going to give them a talking to at halftime. They're going to come out second half and try and win this game. But it was kind of much of a muchness in the second half, Danny. Um, nothing much changed do you think i'm looking at my halftime stats here carl shots four to six on target one each possession 67 percent v33 for us pass success rate 84 71 successful passes 219 v 116 and then key passes two three dribbles 10 zero probably all of those were saint maximum against tommy ashu and then corners, 8-3, tackles, 8-9. But, Carl, when you saw St. Maximum going down that, that wing against uh, Tommy Ashu, were you thinking every single time, weren't you, is that it wasn't going to end well? If I, I, I'm not making excuses, but I think if Tommy Ashu is fit, I'm not saying St. Maximum doesn't get past him a few times, but not every time. I think Tommy Ashu wasn't fit, and it showed because, obviously, he went off injured. But um, I don't think he was... 100%. On, on his day, Tommy Asu handles St. Maximum. I, I have no doubt about that. But, you know, if you're not 100% and you've got someone like him running at you who is a very tricky customer because you don't know what he's going to do. He's what we want Pepe to be. And, you know, he's got, he, you know, he just goes in and out and Tommy Asu was just having a, a, a really bad day that day. Yeah, and then uh, Tommy got injured. I mean, 
I mean, and it's probably like uh, backs up what you were saying, Carl. A fully Tom, a fully fit Tommy wouldn't have had that problems, but seeing him getting roasted every single time and that possession, John, and then the, the number of dribbles and the pass success rate. Remember back in the days, John, when it was uh, when under Wenger, we'd have seven, eight hundred passes a game. If we got, a, a oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. I mean, they they won the midfield, but I mean, they won every single battle, like individual duel and like. In, in the zonal areas as well. Midfield, um, it was, at times, it was basically three of them against our two midfielders. Erdegaard wasn't getting in the game. We couldn't really get him in the ball. And when we did get in the ball, there was like one or two moments where he did a, like a nice little pass to Saka and stuff like that. I think there was one in particular where he was on the edge of the 18-yard box and did a really little nice pass through to him. And um, Saka made a save from, uh, what's it, Dubravka. They just won everything and every second ball. And I think sometimes, I don't think it was like a tactical issue in the game. Um, as I'm sure we'll talk about Xhaka's comments afterwards. Um, he basically alluded to it that if you don't do what the manager tells you and you know you don't do your job properly, then you're going to have these problems. But they just looked so tired. And I know some people are going to say, well, we didn't have Europe this season, we played these games, but... When you're the majority of your team is basically ranges from like 22 to 19, 18 or whatever, um, plays pretty much every single game of the season for nearly 90 minutes, doesn't really get rotated much because there isn't enough squad depth. And the ones that do come on, most people don't want to see play and aren't of the same quality. Um, you're you're going to have that, that, that burnout and stuff at the end of the season. So... Look, it shit, and I think you know the Spurs game was the thing that really cost us. Even if we got a result in Newcastle, we might have been yeah, we would have been above them. But I, I wouldn't have been like overly confident about the last day of the season still because we could still mess it up against Everton. Um, so the Spurs one for me is the is the real big kick in the teeth, and I'm not that surprised by the result. Um, I don't think you can necessarily blame the manager for what happened in that game as in within the 90 minutes if you want to point fingers at him for other things that would have affected that match result what he did or didn't do say like in January or something like that then that's fair enough but um, yeah I, I don't think within the 90 minutes the manager necessarily did anything wrong I think the players on the pitch just let him down and um, and maybe you know some people will say the managers let the team down by, by not bringing in reinforcements No, I agree. And you could see that the players were burnt out as well. I mean, you look at some of the minutes I've done at Danny and I've got up um, transfer market and you look at Bakaya Saka, uh, 42 games played this season. So that's all, nearly almost every league game. You've got Emil Smith-Rowe played 37. Eddie Nketiah, Eddie Nketiah played 26. Um, Lacazette, 35. Martin Odegaard, 39. I mean, you, you're right what you're saying, that the squad rotation is not there. I mean, poor Saka... For the summer, you just want him to. You want to say to him, go to a beach, for three weeks, sit down, and do absolutely nothing because that young man must be really tired. And I know some players, some people might say, oh, but he's only have to play one game a week, and that's fine. Like you're right, he has only played one game a week um, on average. But when you are constantly playing, and remember, he's a winger, so he's literally up and down that wing, up and down, no matter what. And, it's also a lot when you're carrying a team. He's a top goal scorer this season with 12 goals. 
and that says a lot. Um, you know, it's and you're forgetting that he is only 20 years old, and people can say, yeah, 20 years old, he should be able to run around no matter what, but it's still tiring. It really, really is, and for me, I think the lack of depth in the squad, and like you said, like alluded to, John, like you want to rotate the squad, but you know, you're looking at the likes of if you don't play Saka, then you're playing Pepe. No one wants Pepe to play. I mean, he's displayed in the last couple of games that he's uh, had, hasn't been the best, but there could be a number of reasons for that. For me, lack of game time, you know, you can't just be automatically coming and switch it on. It's, it's a number of things, and we'll definitely talk about Pepe uh, later. But for me, um, I don't know if it was the Spurs game that messed it up. I would say probably the momentum of the three games that we lost prior to beating Manchester Chelsea, prior to beating Chelsea when we lost to Brighton, um, Southampton and Crystal Palace. That for me was really bad because if you thought those, those three games, then we had Chelsea and Man United after uh, after that, everyone was saying, oh, do you know what? If we drop points against Man United and Chelsea, that's not too bad, but as long as we beat the three before and we didn't manage to do that. And I, and I feel that that really hurt us a lot because if we won those three games, we would have qualified against for the Champions League easily. And that, that would admit, put Spurs to bed no long. But that, I think, really hurt us. And I think in the long run, you know, when they do that, I'm sure there'll be a season review, John. Do you think that when Arteta does his whole season review and looks at games that he should have won, could have done, do you think that may be the point that he'll look at as a biggest regret? Or do you still think the Tottenham game is the one that um, did him? Um... Yeah, I, d- I mean, I think the Tottenham the Tottenham game is huge because obviously if you win that, you put it all to bed. Um, and maybe there's an argument he could have gone a little bit more pragmatic and just played for a draw, but he's not that sort of manager. Um, or at least he's not at the moment. Maybe in years to come he will be. The the, the games before that we lost, that, that run of three is bad. I think in terms of things that he can affect to control himself... There'll be points this season where he'll look at certain games and he'll go, okay, this substitution was wrong or we set up slightly wrong here or I picked the wrong fullback or I put, should have maybe moved this fullback to right back instead of left back, that kind of thing. Um, but there's plenty of things that went against us that were totally out of his control. Like, um, you know, the Brentford game at the start of the season, the fact we were made to play that, considering all the COVID rules and how many players we had out and how many other people could possibly have it. But Scott like, no, no, no. The fact the Spurs game was delayed so much, you know, that could have been played, what, February, March? Easy. Any time in there. Neither team had loads of games in that period. I think we had a period of like nearly two weeks where we didn't play. Um, there's no reason it couldn't be put in there. It's because Sky wanted the big drama of, oh, if we put this towards the end of the season, this is this big viewing rights, you know. Um, so those things definitely affected us. I, I don't think he's going to regret the Spurs game in terms of what the players did on the pitch because I think the moment they were all, Spurs were awarded that penalty, someone just said it in the chat, um, I think it was Rudy, the moment they got that penalty, that game was done. Like, I, I think the players knew it and everything and the fans are probably Arteta knew it as well. It was like, the ref's not giving us anything here and it was all going to be over. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's definitely... And I think he's, you know, he's been quite honest and open throughout his whole time at Arsenal that he's like, yeah, I've made mistakes. I've, I've got things wrong and I've done things wrong and I'm sure he will go back through because he's probably... 
as much as we criticise him and other people do online and, you know, journalists and whatever, I'd imagine he probably is his biggest, his self, his uh, biggest critic. So, um, yeah, I, it's just, it's weird. It's, it's nice that we're going into the last game of the season and there is, all, like you said, it's a, like, minuscule chance. The chances of Norwich getting anything would be ridiculous but the fact that we're still playing for something at, at the last game of the season is so different to the last few years and I'm in this weird place of I don't know if Danny feels like this um, I'm in this weird place of I'm happy because I actually care about the team and being disappointed that we haven't done something is almost it's a nice feeling because it means I actually care about the players and the coach and the fans and everything and I want everyone to be happy whereas a few years ago, I honestly, I was at the point where I was like, I really don't care what happens anymore because I just was fed up watching us because it was just boring football. Everything was going wrong. You knew it was going to be the same thing every season. There was nothing exciting to look forward to. There was no players I wanted to cheer on. And it just feels different now. And as, as huge a disappointment as this is, and we had top four on our hands and everything else, the team is definitely progressing and going in the right direction. Um, I don't think anyone can deny that. So, yeah, you just have to go into the Everton game, try and win it. Um, if Norwich do us a favour, amazing. It would be the best St. Tottenham's Day I think I'd have ever experienced. It'd be amazing <laughs> end to the Amazon documentary. Jesus Christ, what a finale. Maybe uh, maybe Amazon are going to, you know, Jeff Bezos to go down there and cook a lasagna for them or something. Um, get, get that extra money in. So, yeah, it's... Look, it, it's shit, but it's done now and there's not a lot you can do about it other than what we're doing now, which is trying to talk about and try and rationalise what happened. I mean, Danny, is FIFA failure? I mean, no. I, 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 I totally agree with John. At the start of the season, if someone said we would have got fifth, I would have wanted more, but you may have settled for it. And the fact that we didn't get fourth, I'm disappointed, or potentially we haven't got fourth. I'm disappointed to the fact that it was so close. Maybe the fact that it was in our own hands, maybe the fact that we lost that to Tottenham, I don't know what, but I do feel disappointed. Just the fact that we were so close. But considering where we are right now, coming fifth, I mean, you know, we came fifth, eighth, eighth, and now back to fifth. Is, have we failed this season? Like what, I, we will never know what the objective was at the beginning of the season with Arteta and Edu and the Cronkies, what they wanted. I'm sure, you know, the target would have been definitely top four or would have been, okay, let's get him back into Europe and build blocks. But I don't know, Dan, do you think fifth is a failure? No, because it gets us back on track to what we want to do. If, if at the start of the season we could go back and tell ourselves with one game to go we'd be fighting we've got a chance of fourth place we'd have thought what are you talking about fourth place do you mean 14th place no so the plan is normally when teams progress they go get higher up the league table then Europa League for a few seasons and if they're lucky Champions League for a season or two and then back down to Europa League and then back down to nothing as we're finding out with Leicester and and some of the other teams and hopefully uh Oh, it would have been nice if Spurs had ended up like that, but no, they've managed to get some points back. But fifth is there's no shame in finishing fifth. There's uh, 15 other teams in the Premier League that would love to be fifth that aren't going to finish fifth, and we, we're going to build. But it's just it's just the way that things have fallen apart. 
the way that Arteta hasn't made substitutions. You, see, you were talking about Saka. I've just been had a look. Saka's, like you said, played every single league game this season. Six times this season, he's been taken off injured because it has a little plus sign next to it when you've been in, taken off injured. Six times. He played all 100% of our FA Cup games, all one of them. In that, he got taken off injured. And he played four out of our six League Cup games. I mean, no wonder he's got to this point in the season. He's knackered. And he had an international summer playing with England. And so many of them are going to... I mean, it's, it's going to probably do them good long-term, but no player at 20 should be playing 37 league games a season. Not, not even a goalkeeper. And then to do that, like John was saying, to be our top goal scorer, the most of them have done amazing. I know some of them have stopped scoring, but it isn't their job, people. It's Lacazette's job. It's Aubameyang's job to score the goals. They're the pros. They're the, 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 uh, the grown-up players who get paid the big bucks to do these jobs. They're the young, the rest of them are the young kids that come in and fill in every now and then. They they shouldn't be playing this many games until maybe next season or the season after. That's how you progress as a footballer. And he's been doing this since he's, what, 18 years old? It's just a miracle that he hasn't had a long-term injury. Plus, you got that and you put on top of it the fact that he gets no um, protection from referees. You're allowed to kick and shove and poke and punch and elbow all of our players and get away with it. It's a, it's a fucking miracle that we finished fifth, Carl. Danny, I, I kind of agree just for the simple fact that I, I can't believe that, like you said, he, he's played that many games and, you know, he's our top goal scorer, 20-year-old, our top goal scorer. It's almost unheard of, like, literally. And, you know, there were so many reasons for us not finishing fourth. And like we, like we both said, it's a, for this squad, it's a miracle. I don't think our squad is bad. I just think that Beyond our first 11, there isn't much there. I think mm-hmm. you take out a bar in, maybe a swap for Emil Smith-Rowe and Marta Lenny. Anything else after that is just a, a downgrade in every single position we've got on the, on the pitch. Maybe the goalkeeper, we don't know. But, um, John, next season, I mean, I don't want to, I still want to stick with this season because we haven't quite gone there yet, but... Is there anything that you can think of that would contribute a successful season? Like, what do you class? Would you class this season a success? I mean, I know we still got one game to go, and I mean, there's good chance of getting into the Champions League. But let's say we do finish fifth, would you say the season's a success? Um, yeah, I agree with Danny. I do think it is. Um, it's disappointing because you put it in the context of where we were in the league when we got into the top four and then obviously losing those three games and the sort of chop and change back and forth between us and Spurs. And for a while, even Man United were in that mix and it looked like none of those, uh, the the three teams, us included, really wanted that fourth spot. Um, You know, and it weren't so long ago that I was on here saying, well, if we beat Spurs, then, you know, maybe we should start looking up at Chelsea and see if we can get third place. Yeah. You know, which which wasn't that far fetched at the time. Um, so no, I think it is a successful season. Um, someone put in the chat. I think it was Rudy. Comes in with the stats and the facts. I'm just going to find it now. No, it wasn't. Sorry, Divian put it in there. Um, so last season, fourth place was 67 points. Season before it was 66. Um, and what is the table at the moment? It is. Spurs are on 68. So if they win, fourth place will be 71 points. 
So the bar for entry has improved for the last three years to get you into the fourth fourth spot. Um, you know, if we finish on six, if we win our game, we'll finish on sixty nine points. Uh, very funny. Um, which would have got you a fourth place spot. So it's. Uh, I don't see how you can say it's unsuccessful. You can you can point to periods within the season where either the managers made a mistake or individual players, or the club as a whole, if you want to talk about January and that sort of thing, didn't deliver, that's fine. But I think if you if you were realistic and we could, we don't have, maybe we'll find out uh, in the documentary, but if there's like a, what the goal is for the season. But I think the goal would have been for the season, top six, get Europa League, dodge that uh, conference league spot. Um, get back into Europa League if we get a chance obviously you go for the top four and you try and get it um, and if we if a miracle happens on the last day of the season we get it in my opinion we're a year ahead of probably what is in place in terms of a plan for the club so I still think it's a successful season it just feels that extra bit disappointing that we're so so close right down to the last game of the season that it basically looks like it's gone already. Um, that's what really hurts. I mean, yeah, and I just think the the collapse towards the end of the season, it's it's not the best. I mean, we've won, what, 15 points from our last 11 games. Yeah. That, you know, that's, that's, that's not very good at all if you look at the stats. And, you know, why is it that towards the business end of the season when... You know, you really want your players to knuckle down and, you know, put their head down and put performance in. We didn't manage to do it. Would you put it down to age? Would you put it down to confidence? What do you think it is? I'd put that... I mean, it's a mix of everything. I think it's age and experience, uh, the size of the squad, uh, the fact that players are struggling and key players uh, struggling for fitness. Um, and that the ones who aren't available were tall, like Kieran Tierney, Tommy Yassi was obviously out for a very long time. I know we did win some games whilst he was out the side, but it was definitely destabilising. I think we saw our defence get a lot worse. We started conceding a lot more goals. Um, Thomas Partey being a huge loss. And again, this is one of the things that you could point at the manager uh, and the club in terms of January and business they di- uh, didn't do. We basically played this entire season without a striker. Essentially, if you look at the two guys who've played the most games up front, or three, I guess, if you include Aubameyang, I forgot he was here this season. But if you look at those three and the goals between them, it's nothing, was it? Like five goals, maybe? I don't don't even know what the stat is. Daniel will probably look it up. But it's, you know, we've played an entire season without a striker. And we've done this got this close we've won more games than Chelsea you know it, it it's it's a bizarre season um, that's so weird isn't it when you that yeah. is, that's so weird but the the big issue we've had this season is that in games when we have gone a goal behind we have not been able to come back from it we've looked short of ideas and all those teams um when they do go a goal behind the one big difference um, that they've got over us is that all of them pretty much have an out-and-out goal scorer, you know, a real striker, and we don't have that. And I'm sure someone will chuck a, you know, I don't know, Aston Villa or Leeds or someone like that maybe come back from a goal behind. 
there's always going to be anomalies. But the ones at the very top of the table, um, they've all got proper strikers who can score goals for you all day long. And that, that is in no sort of context where you're losing. You need those players. And we haven't had that all season. Um, and again, it, it, it makes January look a really poor decision now in terms of not signing anyone. I mean, that was always a massive risk, no matter what. I mean, even if we did get into the top four, I know people will be singing out to this praise and saying, you know, look what we've done. We didn't need a, a, a January signings. We managed to get into the top four. But now, like you said, it's looking, you know, it, it's looking like a really, really bad decision. For whatever reason, they, they made that decision to not sign anyone. I mean, before that, I mean, like I said, this season has scored, what, eight goals, I think it is? And in the last, I want to say 15 or 16 games, one goal, and that's been a penalty. So, you know, that just shows the hinges that we was under. Eddie Nketiah, I mean, he's coming in and scored, what, four or five goals? But he's done it in burst. He scored two in one game and two in the other. So it's not like he's been consistently scoring one goal, one goal, one goal, one goal. And, you know, like you said, not having a striker has really, really, really put us was playing with like a handicap. And I think next season, that's obviously... Uh, oh, that's a really nasty injury. Sorry, I'm watching the um, UEFA Cup game. Yeah, um, it's... There's a lot of work to do, you know, to bring in, a, bring in two strikers, because let's face it, we're going to need strength and depth if we're now playing two games a week. Uh, for me... I think the stat that we, when we always go behind, we never come back um, to win a game. I think that is... Danny, what would you put that down to? Would you say that's the manager? Would you say that's the players, a mentality thing? Like, do, they, do you think as soon as we go a goal behind, we just give up? Because that's really telling stat that not once this season we've gone behind and come back to win. Yeah, like Gemini Jedi, I've put it up a couple of times when John was talking about it. The worrying stats, Sky put up about six previous games, I think they're away games only, where we have conceded first and not come back to get any points. And then someone else said that we've only drawn um, three, is it three league, um, and drawn three games this season. We've had two minutes, not had enough draws. All it would have taken is a, a half-decent goal scorer. If, if we've lost 13, um, 13 games, I don't know how many of those games were by one goal, but say if half of them were by one goal, then all you needed to do was have a, goal, a, a striker score three goals in those six games, and then we'd have got an extra three points then. And then that would have been, that's enough to put us above Spurs and maybe even getting closer to Chelsea. And the... the uh, you can't, you can't get rid of your main striker and fall out with him. Who's who's gone on to Barcelona and shown that he isn't he isn't broken. Although we think Lacazette is broken, I don't think Aubameyang is broken. We'll see when Lacazette goes to another club uh, uh, when he leaves this summer if the, if he is actually broken or not. And you can't. It seems Eddie only really wants to score goals against teams that he's got umbrage against. Uh, Chelsea because they let him go, and Leeds because he had a terrible time on on loan there. And other than that. We ain't going to get goals. We've had little bat, um, um, batches of where Smith Rowe would score some, Erdegaard would get some, and then Saka would just Saka scoring regularly. Martinelli has scored one in his last 20, I think. But God knows, it's not like he isn't trying, is he? These are all the players that supply the ammo for a striker to score the goals. And as good as Eddie is, poor Eddie. I've seen him jump up for corners. Just don't bother Eddie, because you're never going to get to it. 
And then we had, and when you saw that you got the likes of Dan Byrne marking, it was marking Xhaka from a corner. And Xhaka's not, uh, not that small. And then he's towering above him at the near post. And you think, well, he's never going to get anything there, is he? But I've got a question for the uh, thing for the both of you. Saka's played 130 games for Arsenal so far at the age of 20. He's played more games than Edu, Welbeck, Nasri, Steve Williams, Leno, Holding, Chambers, Petit, Limpar, Sendos, Kalasnitz, Luzhny, Reyes, Platt, Sigan, Niall Quinn, and uh, Nicholas Anelka, uh, Podolski, Gwenduzi. All these players he's played more games than, and he's still only 20 years old. That is, I mean, Van Bronckhorst, Gabriel, Manninga, Eddie McGoldrick, Ian Selly, Javinio. That is that is some stat, isn't he's, it? That already... he's, on for, he's on for most appearances for the club, if he keeps going at that rate. Right? 722, I think it was, by O'Leary. Yeah. That is... Yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, in, it's incredible. And, and, the fa- and I think the other thing as well that's incredible is that he he's, out of all the young players, he's the consistent one in terms of the performance and the output you get from him. I mean, like even in that Newcastle game, the one bright spark, the one thing that gave you any hope was when he got the ball and you thought, oh, oh maybe there's something going to happen here. And he did beat his man a couple of times, got in the box and got some shots off and stuff. But like what Danny was saying there about the the young guys around where, where a striker should be, the striker shaped holding our team, chipping in with goals and stuff. If you put even a, like a, a, the whole myth about a 25 plus goal a season striker it doesn't really exist anymore there's very few of them if you look around the top five leagues that actually get that um you just put like a a 15 to 20 goal a season player there who's consistent can challenge for the ball can hold up the ball um you know is a bit physical can win things in the air you just put someone like that in the team and then all of a sudden it's it's a different prospect and i think like danny said in those games where Maybe we only lost by one goal or only one down for a certain period of time. And then where those chances fell to Lacazette out of form, Eddie Nketiah when he came on in games, um, things like that, then maybe we score them and it's a, it's a very different season. But the, the, the end of this season, like if, if everything goes as we expect and we end up finishing fifth, I think a lot of fans are going to finish the season a little bit of a downer and be disappointed and understand and get it because we were so close to fourth place. But I think if you give it a week or two and like football's out of your head and it's the summer and you can just concentrate on the transfer bollocks that's coming, I think most fans with a bit of common sense will look at the season as an overall and say, you know what, actually we did pretty well. Yeah, we could have done better and it's disappointing and frustrating and probably should have got top four. But overall, it actually was a good season considering all the stuff that has happened. Five games we lost by a single goal. And then you add the three games that we drew. That's eight games that could have been affected, Carl, by just a single goal. Yeah, I was looking at the the games that we lost. I mean, we lost two minutes to Brentford. We didn't have any striker. We we played Balogun in that game, didn't we? Um, We lost to Chelsea 2-0, Man City 5-0, Liverpool 4-0. Man United, we lost 3-2, which, yeah, we could have beaten Man United definitely uh, that game. I remember the game. We lost 2-1 to Everton away. God knows how the fuck we lost to Everton. Um, that's the game that Thomas got stamped on, isn't it? That, but, yeah, that, that game we should have won easily. Uh, we lost 2-1 to Man City at home. That was the one that Xhaka got sent off, wasn't it? Or gave away the penny? Or was it both? I can't remember, but 
you've done something stupid that game, didn't we? Um, 2 0 to Liverpool, 3 0 to Crystal Palace, 2 1 to Brighton, 1 0 to Southampton, 3 0 to Spurs, and 2 0 to Newcastle. So, you know, in those games, I, I can pick out what four games that we could have easily won and maybe even got a draw, like in some of the rest of the game. So, yeah, like you said, the, the, the thing is, though, right, you can go back through so many seasons in Arsenal's history and any football club's history where they came close to doing something, whether it was top four or winning the league or like the season Leicester won the league. I bet if someone went back through and looked at the results we got in that season, you could probably pick out five, six games and go, oh, if only we'd done something slightly different in that game or, you know, just not one goal or whatever, you know, then then we win the league that season. 2008, obviously the Eddie injury was horrible, but maybe if we do this little thing, like there's some early games in the season where we didn't pick up points. If we change things a little bit, you know, it's it's a different result and we end up with more points and the Eddie injury, although it's bad, we've got enough of a cushion by that point when he hits that. Um, so I, they're easy to say and like hindsight's a very easy thing to pick out, but the, the thing... And I've got no problem with people doing it. I think most people who listen and watch this know that I'm quite a big backer of Arteta and I, I do think he's doing the right thing and the, the club's approach to everything is correct at the moment. Um, but the, the stick they're going to beat him with, and it, it's fair enough, he, he's going to be that January window. That's going to be the thing. I mean, he was like you said, it's a calculated risk and a risk that hasn't gone his, hasn't gone his way. The thing I would say about that, that January window, is no one knows if we try to actually sign a player or not. Like, no one 100% knows if we actually tried to sign someone or not. You know, there was talks of different players, there was talks of midfielders, there was talks of Vlahovic. It was, I found it, if you look back at it now, it's weird that Vlahovic was the only striker that we went in for. Apparently, anyway, um, considering how strong the links were to Juve, it seemed odd. So maybe we didn't go for a striker because maybe the money wasn't there or maybe the type of striker that they wanted just wasn't available in January. If you actually look at what clubs did business in January, it was what Newcastle did, obviously, but overpaid for every single player pretty much and gave them wages higher than they probably uh, were worth or deserve, at least, at, at, at that club at the moment. Um, and Tottenham got in, uh, you know, well, they got Kulazewski on loan with the option to buy, and they got Bentacore as well from Juventus. And, you know, for whatever reason, maybe we didn't go in for them, or maybe the deal was already struck um, with Juve, but they they only got rid of them because they needed to free up some funds to get for Harvich. And that was it. But no one else really did big business in January. Never, no one ever does. So it's easy to say, oh, you should have just gone out and signed someone. But if there's no one available, there's no one available. And I, I would rather... This will this this just say this very quickly because this will really piss people off. I would rather have had the season we've had, the disappointment at the end, end up finishing fifth, than have got a player in who would have got us fourth place but would have been at the club on stupid fucking wages might have done a job for six months but then had a three, four years left on his contract and turn out he's a complete twat like Gwen Doozy was or Mustafi or someone like that. And then you're in a situation of, right, we're going to have to sell him for a loss. Oh, 
he won't leave because his money's so good and no other club wants him, right? We're just going to have to write off all this money again. I, I don't want the club to be in that situation again. I think, I think it's, it's stupid. And the reason why the project, if you like, under Arteta, I think, is taking so long is because he still had to get rid of all of those people. Yeah. And John, as normal, you talk the most sense. But I need to try. I need. I need to play devil's advocate. Are you saying, yeah. oh, that there was no one in the world football that we could have got even, even with bought him or alone? <clears throat> I, I hear what you're saying that we need the right mm. person, hundred yeah. percent. And the summer, it was the summer is going to be the one yeah. where you go and get your two strikers. That and I think it was still in the balance whether we would get Europa or Champions. I mean, if we'd gone Champions League. If we've got Champions League, we would have gone balls out for whoever the striker yeah, is going to be, whether it be yeah. um, uh, Jesus, Jesus or whoever. And I think maybe we may need to revise um, who we buy now because we're in the Europa League. But in January, I, I can't, I can't agree to the notion that there was nobody in world football that could have come in. I mean, you think to yourself, okay, Bamian left, and at that point. Lacazette. That was that striker. was what la- last day of the window when Aubameyang left. I know it was coming, obviously. Yeah, but, we, but this me, thing we we don't know if there was again. It, this is all speculation because nobody knows exactly what happened. We don't yeah. know if the club and Aubameyang were trying to sort things out so that he could stay and resolve whatever the issue is that still no one actually knows what it is. And that's fair enough. That's that's for the club and the players to sort out. It's, Perfectly honest, it's none of my fucking business. Um, was there no player you could have got in on loan? I've, I genuinely, I don't know. There might have been strikers available on loan. Were they going to be good enough? Were they going to improve us? Was it just a striker from a club who? It's. I know some people in the chat are saying like Spurs signs of players and whatever, and I get it. Spurs got those players because Juventus needed the money. Um, would Bentacor come in and have improved us? Yeah, he would have improved our midfield options. I don't deny that. Um, did he want to sign for Arsenal or did he want to sign for Tottenham? There's a difference. Tottenham have Antonio Conte as manager. It's not that Arteta is a bad manager, but Antonio Conte is a known presence at Juventus and in the Italian league. That's why he probably said to his agent, oh, I want to go and play for Antonio Conte. Um, probably the same thing with Kulovetsky. Like, the, there was the deal, allegedly, the deal in place for us to get Arta on loan from Juve. But the moment Kulazeski, Bentacor left, then they went, oh, no, we're going to, again, this is all paper talk and rumours, you don't know how true it is. They pull the deal and say, no, we're not going to do that now because we can't let go of another midfielder. Um, I, I'm not saying there was no one available. Maybe there were players available and maybe they got shown to the club and... Maybe Arteta said, okay, yes, it would improve the squad, but maybe they didn't like his the personality or how he'd act around the training ground or... I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not trying to make excuses for the manager. I know it's, it does sound like that. But I think if you look at what they did in the summer previous to the season, barring Tavares, who is still... We don't know exactly what's going to happen with him as a player. Maybe he does improve. Maybe he needs a loan out somewhere before he comes back and then comes back to the club. I think all the signings they made were really good and all improved the squad and put the squad in the right direction. So at the moment, as it stands, I, I'm trusting them on their transfer process because for the first time 
since, I don't know, like midway through Wenger's career, it's probably been our best transfer window we've had, realistically, in terms of like the togetherness of the squad, the players, the development, the direction of the club, rather than before it was like all very hit and miss. Yeah, I, I, you know, I absolutely agree. I think this transfer window definitely set us to where we want to go. We, you know, we bought young. So that's the, you know, despite what Gary Neville says, where he doesn't know what Arsenal are doing in the transfer window. Yeah. Like, we, we know, we, we exactly know going young. I think this coming transfer window, we might go a little bit more experienced because I think it's probably shown that maybe the young heads need maybe someone, dare I say it, Xhaka-esque, uh, around them, yeah, and I, I, I think you, I, yeah, I, and I think you saw that for the good parts of the season in the squad and the way that we played. Xhaka and Partey had a really good partnership, so you had like experience and like leadership there. Lacazette, when he was playing well, he wasn't scoring goals, but he was leading the line well and bringing the young players into the game. You know, when we were a bit more free scoring and creating more. Um, yeah, it was frustrating. He weren't getting goals, but he was still helping the team, and those experienced players were doing it. And you know, Lacazette's form dips massively. Partey gets injured. Um, for what it's worth, I actually think Jack Jacker in the second half of the season has certainly been better than the first half. He wasn't very good against Newcastle, but I mean, anyone was. Um, and you can have obviously lots and lots of youth, but you do need some experience in there. And I think the manager for the most part, got the blend right. But it was just it's just that tiny little step too far. It's like one hurdle too many for him. Yeah, I mean, since we mentioned him, we must as well just stay on him for a little bit about Granit Xhaka and his interview afterwards. Um, Danny, I'm sure you've seen um, the, the interview and what he said. Do you think, I mean, I personally, I liked it because I don't want, do you remember when Theo Walker used to do interviews and he used to be the most robotic person? If we come out of a loss, he'd say something like, yeah, the team needs to work harder. We understand that we're going to go on to the next game. And just, you know, just from the textbook, you know, excuses of losses. Granite Shaka came out and he was obviously angry. You know, you put a camera and the microphone into his face after we've kind of lost top four and he's, you know, He's got his adrenaline running, and of course, he's going to say certain things. And uh, I don't know if he called out anyone in particular, but he just he literally just said, you know, the team didn't play well. You know, if you don't listen to the manager, this is what happens to you. Are you, I want, I'm not, I don't want to say, are you a fan of that side of interview, but is there anything in the interview that you disagree with? I liked the interview, it reminded me a little bit about. Um, like either, you know, remember our two, our two little Welsh wonders that we used to podcast with. You never know what's going to happen, but fuck me, it's entertaining. That's that's how Xhaka is. It could go either way at any point and people love it, but I'm not sure that you're, uh, he's the cat. He may not be captain on the pitch all the time, but he is, from what we've heard, he is the captain in, in the dressing room. And you can tell by the way he's shouting and screaming and stuff that he cares but whether he's doing it the right way in modern football, I don't think some of the little darlings who may well have um, bruised egos will like that because you can't speak to players like that or about your teammates like that anymore. Back in the day, Tony Adams, um, legendary, would get you by the throat. I think Lee Dixon said, or I'm, I read a tweet, and there's only a few Arsenal players I follow. I think Lee Dixon said, before the North London derby, Tony Adams got him by the throat, put him against the wall and go, you don't fucking understand how important this is. Imagine if you did that to uh, did that to Eddie and Ketty today. 
you'd, you'd be suspended and you'd be up before the beak for something. It's uh, he has got a point. I think the players that don't do the job. Well, I think it's a cross between. He he was saying that the players didn't do what the manager told them. Maybe the manager's telling them to do the wrong things because it's not been when it doesn't work. It doesn't work spectacularly, but when it does work. Man City at home, Liverpool away, um, the game against Spurs 3-0 up after half an hour. Some of the stuff we do works absolutely stunning. You sit there and you go, wow, how on earth are we playing this well against some of those teams? And the other times, like the, the title of the podcast, Arteta just shits the bed with his tactics and with, and with his leadership. And, you know, um, it's, it's it's on record that um, people used to get fed up with. Um, oh, what player was it? He was a he went off. I think it was Graham Souness or Rude Hullet or Zinedine Zidane or someone like that. He used to get oh no, it was Roy Keane at Sunderland. He used to get so angry at his players because he'd say to them, "Do this, do that," and they weren't capable of doing it. And he was capable because he's one of the best players the Premier League has ever seen. And so he's quite rightly getting annoyed of his players because they can't do what he wanted them to do. At first, at Sunderland, they were doing really well. And then he got them up for it. Then after a while, they, they realised they can't do what he wants. And uh, I would, if I was a player, I'd look at Arteta and go, mate, you ain't all that. You ain't done anything. You won one FA Cup with Arsenal. You've never even capped by your country. You've won a couple of tin pots in, in Scotland. But other than that, you've not ever done anything in your career. And you're telling... Players like Martinelli, Smith-Rowe, Erdegaard and Saka, magnificently skillful players have got more skill and ability in their little finger than you've got in your entire body. You're telling them what to go and do. There's got to be a certain balance of telling them what to do because you know better and then going, letting them go and do what they want. And I think that's where sometimes Arteta falls down and he's getting better at it. I mean, the number, how, you look at all those young players we've had on the bench, Premier League game after Premier League game. None of them get used. How many times has Aziz come on, or any of the, or the Amari Hutchinson, or any of that lot? When you can see that Saka is knackered, or Smith Rowe is knackered, or Odegaard is knackered, or any of these players, normally you'd go, well, you get the last ten minutes. But Saka, Arteta will keep playing these players. As I mean, I think I counted nineteen times this season. Saka has played the full ninety minutes, even in games where we're winning three 0 or something. He'll still keep him on. And there's little man management things like that that we see the evolution of Arteta as a manager. And we've seen already some of the things that he, does, he doesn't do now that he did do before. And I think that's an important thing as a manager. But it's, it's just hard on him because he's adapting and evolving as a manager whilst he's manager of one of the biggest clubs in the world. And that is sometimes causing problems. Did that answer yeah. your question? I can't remember what the question was halfway through that. <laughs> it was about Xhaka uh, and his interview. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, Fucking hell, went off the one there. <laughs> <laughs> no, the thing is, I tend to agree because you can't manage or you can't captain how, you know, back in the day, you know, during the war, as they say, um, and you can't do that anymore. But I didn't find any anything wrong with what Granite Xhaka said. Did you, John? Like, did you... when? Obviously, you listened to it. Did you find, did you think, when you heard that, did you think, oh, fucking hell, like, that's going to come back to mind? Did you think, hmm, fair play? Like, he's just spoke from his mind. Um, no, when I first saw it live, I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. I did immediately think, oh, fuck, who's he talking about? And then I think we were chatting about it in the WhatsApp group and uh, a few of my mates and stuff were talking about it. And I went back and watched it. It was probably about an hour after it's done. And I watched it again. 
And actually, when you hear him talk and the way he phrases everything, I don't think he's talking about an individual. I think he's talking about the whole team and includes himself in that. He always he keeps saying we. You know, he doesn't he doesn't say this guy or that guy or the team. He says we as a team, you know. He keeps using that phrase. So I, I think he's blaming himself in that. And like fucking I, I used to like Gary Neville as a pundit. I quite enjoyed him when he first came along. But like the whole thing with Man United this season and like sticking up for Solskjaer and now the way he's learning to Arsenal, it's just fucking boring, honestly. And the way he went off about Xhaka as well last night, going, oh, this guy, he's, he's saying this and that about his teammates. He wants to have a look at himself. It's like, honestly, Neville, shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, you were the little pansy in your dressing room who probably got his ass spanked by Roy Keane every week. You were a <laughs> fucking scumbag of a player who was rolling Reyes off the pitch when he was kicked to pieces at Old Trafford by your fucking shit teammates because you couldn't compete and play football with us. And all you do is complain about players coming out and saying generic things and, like, the usual media bullshit. So, like, I saw fans from other clubs um, talking about the Jacker interview going, oh, it's really nice to hear a player actually say something, like, honest for once, and actually say what he's thinking. And maybe if they interviewed him the next day, he wouldn't have been quite as harsh or critical about it. But he's emotional and he's straight after the game and he's frustrated and disappointed and he clearly cares. Um, and I, I don't have a problem with it at all. I'd rather see players come out and say those sort of things, to be honest, after a um, after a football game than, than the usual sort of try it typical, uh, you know, we've got to take stock, reassess, you know, get back on the training pitch, get back to our basics, do this... Do this. It's just, you know, it's normally it's just generic bullshit and you've heard it all before. And you can, pre- that's the thing, you can predict most post match interviews now, pretty much every single one. And so for me, I didn't have an issue with it at all. I don't think the players will because they all looked really fucked off and disappointed after the game. The manager looked like, if I was a, if I was a dad, I hope I'm not, um, but if I was one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. You know. I never know. If, if anybody I, knows, I was, do let uh, us know. No, don't. No, 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 no. Um, I can't afford that. If I was a dad, though, I'd imagine that's how I would look if, like, my child had pissed me off. Just the sort of like pent up anger, like you want to explode, but also complete disappointment on my face of like, what the fuck are you doing? I don't want to like lose my shit in the middle of Tesco's and slap you around the face, <laughs> even though that's what my brain's telling me to do. Like that's the way he was looking at the players, and they were probably looking at each other like that. And to be fair, if in the if in the changing room there was a bit of digging each other out about things they've done in the game, I don't have an issue with that because sometimes you need that bit of a you know slap about like verbally, um, you know, uh, and a wake up call for things. Um, and majority of our players, even though they are young. They all seem pretty, all pretty uh, level-headed, and you know, and quite intelligent, and very critical of themselves. So, I hope that does happen. Agreed. Um, I want to touch on some of our players. And Danny, um, I had to. I'm thinking it was you now. I looked at transfer market. So I looked at um, <laughs> just. I looked at some of our players' contracts, you know, and I looked at Emil Smith Rowe. He's got time to go, but Bukayo Saka. So his contract runs out in 2024. Look, so. I have this ready. Oh, it's only taking me nine years. 
Go on, I'm carry on, so people at home can oh, see it. So, so yeah, I'm looking at um, Lacazette. Sorry, not Lacazette. Sorry, um, Bukayo Saka and his contract runs out in 2024. So, if you're Bukayo Saka and you know the likes of Liverpool are after you, because oh, let's be very honest, um, Klopp has been very vocal on all of the end, you know, about liking him, same as Martinelli as well. And, you know, in the case of maybe Bayern Munich might come in for you, Borussia Dortmund. Do you stay at Arsenal knowing that you can go to another team and almost guarantee to get into the Champions League almost every season and fight for the title or stay at Arsenal? And I know people say, oh, he loves Arsenal or, you know, he's a, he's an Arsenal boy. People still want to win trophies and still want to play at the top level. And if Arsenal are not doing that, then, you know, this be honest, does Bakari Saka and his agent then start talking and saying, you know, you could go to Liverpool and because Liverpool will take him in a heartbeat. If if Salah is not going to stay, you can almost guarantee they're going to go, maybe, if they're going to look at that Saka contract and think, you know, Saka's only got two years left, 18 months, if we go and offer Arsenal 120 million, Mm-hmm. Would we take it? Would we not? Would we risk? The, would we risk not selling him uh, and with him walking away for free? And again, I know he's a Halen boy, and we want him to stay. But at the end of the day, he wants to go and win trophies. So, do we have a problem with Saka if he doesn't sign a new contract this summer? This is why I wanted to keep some of his mates around him: the uh, Reese Nelson, Eddie and Ketia, um, Chris Willock. Some of those other players, we, we've seen it in the past, like when Eden, when um, yeah, uh, Eden Hazard, and he said Mickey Hazard. Then when Eden Hazard signed for Chelsea, they signed two of his brothers as well, and so he had it, they they were all there together. And so you sometimes there's been occasions where you, uh, club players have gone to clubs and they've stayed there more for because they like who they're with, they like the manager. So many of our players um, in in the past of like um, I think Spurs and Man United tried to tap up Tony Adams. And like Sol Campbell, we managed to get him away from Spurs. So it does happen. But I, I hope and have my fingers crossed that Saka will turn out to be like a James Ward-Prowse, that he's a one-club man, that he wants to stay here. And he, he would hopefully, if I'd sit him down and I'd go, look, look, Saka, I'd pat him on the head and I'd give him some biscuits and some milk and say, look, son, put your iPad down. I've got some wise words for you. Look at the careers of Mark Overmars. Fucked off to Barcelona. Didn't win a single thing. Nicolas Enelka. Fucked off to club after club after club. No club gives a shit about him. Didn't really do that much in his career. May have won a European Cup with Real Madrid. I don't know. Petit. Fucked off to Barcelona. Did fuck all. Come back to Chelsea. They don't give a shit about him. The big one. Thierry Henry. He goes, oh, I'm an Arsenal fan. Fucks off to Barcelona because they gave him a sniff of the matron's apron. And then he went there, won a few trophies, and they fucked him off as soon as he was no good. And you go, oh, well, yeah, no loyalty. If you want loyalty, you stay at this club. Look at how we we revere the players like uh, like Tony Adams and Roe Castle and some do with it, with um, with Henri and how we look at Ian Wright and all these players. And yes, Ian Wright left. He didn't want to go. And all these other players. You stay here for the rest of your career. You will attract some of the best young players in the world. We've got a magnificent core of young, yeah, like um, the Arsenal Luchador is saying, same as Cesc. Cesc fucked off to Barcelona. I've got my DNA. No, you don't. They, they used you. You had a couple of good seasons and then you went to the Chavs. You want to stay? We'll build, we'll make this club great again. 
we get you a hat saying make the Arsenal great again. <laughs> and then all, the, all your mates will keep them here and you can be an idol. Look, take them outside and say, here's a blueprint for, blue, the blueprints for a statue. It's going to take about 10 or 15 years to get planning permission, but we're going to put a statue of you out there. This is what you can get if you stay here. And if you go to Man City or you go to Liverpool, you are just going to be one of many players there that they're going to use, get the best out of you and fuck you off out the door as soon as they finished with you, which is what's going to happen to Raheem Sterling at the moment, a similar player to him. A wonder kid, did great, and now he's getting a little bit slower. They don't want him. There's talk of him possibly going to, to, to Spurs to play under Conte. So... Yeah, and then I say that, and then I look around and he's fucking fast asleep. And I go, oh, you fucking little shit, you're grounded. <laughs> I mean, it is a worry, let's be very honest. It is. I am um, might be the only person I'm not worried about at all. I, I think he'll, they'll get him to sign a new deal in the summer. Oh, I yeah, I think he will. I think, they'll, I think they'll reward him with a bigger contract. They'll get him on a new deal, whether it's four or five years. And I think him and his agent will go, look, his agent might say to him, oh, well, you know, we could not sign it, hang about a bit, see if we get some offers. But if I'm honest, Arsenal aren't going to accept them unless they're ridiculous. And when I say ridiculous, I mean like north of 150 million, which no one's going to bid. Um, so I think if, if I was his agent, like just thinking in money terms, I would say to him, stay at Arsenal, sign a new deal, get better money. You're still going to be the star player in the, in the team. You're going to be making the headlines every week. You're still going to score goals. You're still going to be in the England setup. You're a darling in everyone's eyes, and the majority of England fans as well, still, except for some knobheads. And then we'll move you, you know, in 2024, 20, 25, when he's in his like mid 20s, when he's getting to his peak years, and say, if Arsenal aren't in the position then, then you can go to whoever. And you still get your Champions League football, you still get your trophies when you're at your absolute peak and you'll make mega, mega money. I mean, more than he already is, which is probably obscene for, for his age. So I, I don't think there's a real, real worry on that. And if I'm honest, if Klopp's still the Liverpool manager, I think he'd try and buy Martinelli before he would sack her. Because he's got, that man has got like serious, like disturbing Jimmy Savile vibes. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Savile vibes disturbing level of affection for Martinelli whenever we played him and don't get me wrong I know Martinelli like normally his best game of the season is against Liverpool but he's fucking creepy seriously especially with those fucking teeth Ugh, I hate that bloke I mean yeah is, is even he a worry um, that he might not sign I'm not too sure when his contract runs out to be honest what we need to do is get someone in the club to undercover John you put a, put a false beard on and when he signs the contract for five years go in and put a one before the five and then so you've signed it 15 years you're here till you retire son so his contract runs out in 2024 as well so it's both of them so surely we've got to be working on both of them to sign a new contract this summer yeah I, I think we've seen since um, the Cronkies like had full ownership and they brought in I can't remember the guy's name, uh, the lawyer guy who's not oh, really the American, a, uh, he's Tim. not really a foot Tim, someone, yeah, he's not uh, Tim yeah. Lewis, maybe, yeah, yeah, that's the one, yeah, yeah, he's he's not really worked in football before, but he sort of has a general overview of the financial thing at the club and he's been looking at things like contracts and stuff <laughs> like that. And they've tried to set this precedent of when there is two years left on a deal. 
that is when we need to make the decision on are we selling the player or are we renewing those sorts of things so i'm sure that there's probably already like a contract drawn up an offer ready to be made for saka and for martinelli uh, smith rose signed one not that long ago i think um you know, so a lot of those young guys, they're, they're probably all there ready on the table and just they'll do it at the end of the season and, you know, just say to them, oh, you can enjoy your holiday, um, you know, and then when you come back, maybe it's something we, we get it done. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see it done before the, before the, in the comeback from the summer because hmm. everyone's going to be, you know, if we don't make top four, everyone's going to be moaning about that. Like, can you imagine, like, the day after the season, he signs, that everyone forgets about not making top four and focuses on, on that, and that would be uh, great. Yeah, I mean, may, maybe they make the offer and the, and the agent comes back with the, oh, OK, we need to look at this and assess it. And, you know, I, honestly, it wouldn't surprise me with some agents if they didn't even fucking go to the player after time and tell them about it. But the moment say Saka is on holiday or Martinelli or whatever and they see that you know Arsenal have gone out and signed this player or that player or something like that they'll be like oh cool yeah I, I definitely want to stay with the club we're going in the right direction I've got a point to prove I want to do it for these fans and like and fair play to the fans as well because I think that will make a big difference the way the fans have been this season and how supportive they've been of the team in particular the away fans they've been incredible um, and you know that is a big draw I don't know, people say, you know, Arsenal, no Champions League and it's only Europa League, we won't get the players. But, you know, we got Erdegaard without any European football, you know? That wasn't like a small feat. We got Thomas Party when we were, what, in the Europa League? We signed him from a Champions League club? Yeah. yeah. You know, the, the pool is still there. You have to find the right players, so... And I think on Arsblog they said about this, it's, it's not just the club, it's the, the project itself, the direction it's going in. Um, apparently, with all the signings, Arteta was a big factor in it when he spoke to the players personally on the phone and told them about what they were trying to do, so, uh, a bit like Wenger uh, used to do when he'd speak to some people. And just the fact of living in London. A, a lot of footballers want to live in, in London because it is an amazing city and it's, it's got everything there for you. You know, uh, you don't necessarily feel out of place. So, um, are we going to get the very, very top, absolute peak players? No, probably not. But we were probably never going to get them anyway because we can't compete financially with you know Man City and uh, Bayern Munich and, and teams like that. But I still think we'll be able to sign very good players. And and when you make those signings, it just makes other people who are already at the club want to sign a new deal because they can see where the club is going. That's true, because yeah. you look at Leicester, if Le- even when Leicester got into the Champions League, they struggled to get the top quality players, and now they're out, because they, who's going to want to go to Leicester? And they'd have to pay them big money and be in the Premier League. But being in not just London, Carl, but being in the fashionable North London where Arsenal were based, and using our wonderful tube system, they can be in central London in how long? 15 minutes, Danny. Good God, Carl. You, you are a magnificent service you offer there. <laughs> of course. Only with his five, I don't. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> um, Just before we go into listeners' questions, I, I do want to uh, touch on Everton game because it's, it's not a given that we're going to beat Everton. Everton are kind of scrapping for their survival as well. So, you know, if and there was a report today, and maybe it's a smokescreen that Ben White and Gabriel and uh, Emil Smith Rowe wasn't in training today. 
so we don't know if we're going to have them. I mean, it would be nice to play the kids, as they say, but, you know, we're still, we both know, all three of us know that there is that the most minuscule of chance of us making the Champions League of top four if Spurs slipping up. Norwich have won, what, two games all season? I think that's something stupid like that. Um, they they so, drew their last game, though. No. They did draw their last game. <laughs> so there's an improvement. There's, you know, things are looking up. <laughs> but, you know, let's, let's be honest that Conte is not going to go there with that Spurs team and tell them to um, take the foot off the, the break. He's going to tell them, we need to win this game. And that's 100% certain. So, you know, like I said, there's a minuscule chance. But even if we, even if um, Norwich do beat Spurs, we still need to be win our game against Everton. And like I said, Everton are nowhere going to be on the beach. They can, they're not going to want to be relegated. They're going to want to win their games and There's, win their game. We, we can make the chances even slimmer because Everton play Palace tomorrow night. If Everton win that, they're safe from relegation, um, if I've done my maths correctly. So 36, 39, yeah, they would be um, safe from relegation because uh, Leeds can only get to 38 points. So, if Everton win their game tomorrow night, they've got a short turnaround before our game. They could be safe celebrating, not having to worry about uh, relegation, which would be sad because watching Frank Lampard get relegated would be fucking hilarious. Although I kind of like Everton, but seeing Fat Frank go down is great. Um, You know, Norwich drew away at Wolves. All right, Wolves have been kind of shit lately, but is away and the Wolves at home are generally good. Is a home game for Norwich. Last game of the season as well, right? Pray, pray. Why are you giving me hope? Why are you giving me hope? Why are you giving me hope, John? I'm there thinking, maybe I'm going into watching the last game and I'm just going to watch it and enjoy it and uh, I'm not, I'm not expecting anything genuinely. I, I expect Spurs to go and beat Norwich, but yeah, there is there is that tiny, tiny chance. And obviously, even if they do, we still need to beat Everton. Um, so no, I'm not going in with any expectation at all about it, which kind of makes me relaxed about the game. I just want to enjoy a last game of the season. I kind of wish I was going, to be honest. Um, I might look last minute to see if there's tickets because I'm sure there's some very angry Arteta out mob that um, <laughs> probably don't want to go now. <laughs> But yeah, it'd be nice to go and cheer the team and just like say thank you for making me enjoy watching football this season because it actually has been fun for a change, all the ups and downs. True. Yeah, I, I have to agree. And uh, then, you know, season finishes and we've got the uh, how many, six, seven weeks of... Uh, no, it's not even that long, is it? Because of the World Cup, it's a shorter turnaround. Yeah, short, shorter. To, I think it's a shorter summer break than normal because they've moved the season to start earlier because of the World Cup in. Yeah, so they must. I think they've like, maybe five weeks off, maybe. We'll, um, we'll see, um, or something along them lines. Uh, no, it's yeah. not. I know they haven't got very long off, yeah. but then you've got all the um, ITKs uh, uh, coming off. And Chris telling us about this French wonder kid who we should sign. Um, this is Guy at Marseille, John, but if you heard of him, he's got like long hair, um, quite a good midfielder. I don't know how to pronounce nah, it. Sounds, um, sounds, sounds like a twat, not interested. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like Chris said he's going to be the future French football, so... That, oh, okay, yeah. I'm sure he said that about Adrian Rabio as well. Yeah. And he turned just, out to be a dickhead, didn't he? <laughs> just looking, Carl, this season starts on the 6th of August. 
and it ends on the 28th of May. And uh, the World Cup will be from the third, 12th, from the third, 12th and 13th of November, uh, the week ending the 12th, 13th of November until the 26th of December. So yeah, it's going to be. Aren't all the European games back to back? You know, there's normally like two games and then a little break. I think they're playing six weeks consecutive, all the European group games. Yeah, I think they right are. Away. Yeah, trying to do that. Yeah. yeah so while the last Premier League games are going to be on the 12th or 13th of November. And the first match after the World Cup will be played on the 26th of December. I hadn't read it properly. So they're going to have all, oh, they're going to have what, six weeks of no games if you're not going to the World Cup. What the hell are we going to do then? During the World Cup, we'll have to find a country to cheer. Because Italy aren't going, so I'm fucked. I'm they're, no longer Italian. I'm German. Yeah, Italy are doing the right thing. They're protesting this disgraceful yes. World Cup. That <laughs> that's, that is why they're not going. Yeah, yeah, that's, that, that, yeah, that's the reason, yeah. isn't it? I mean, but as a podcast, what are we going to do for six weeks with no football in the winter? Well, That's all we do. We're going to do a World Cup podcast, aren't we? When Chris can tell us how good France is and then when they inevitably go out in the quarterfinals, tell us yeah. that, you know, they're, they're really world champions and they really want it anyway. Yeah, no, we find really out there's a, there's, a, there's a group sex tape going around again and there's another court case against certain <laughs> French players and, you know, all that comes out as usual. I'm sure we'll do some World Cup podcasts. Oh gosh! Uh, anyway, we're going to move on to listener questions, aren't we, Daniel? Yeah, John. Can you see the questions? I've, I've put them under starred next to live. Yes, I can. Um, okay, just a few questions, and then there was actually I've got a little bit after listener questions, just to give you all more false hope before we end <laughs> this podcast. Um, so, uh, one from Julian Salmon, uh, lads. Do you think if Conti was brought in, we would have finished top four? For me, the big difference between the two teams was Kane and Son and not Conti. Carl, what do you reckon? I think that's right. I think if Conte was at Arsenal, it's all if, coulda, woulda, shouldas, isn't it? Con, um, Son and Kane are the main reason why the Spurs are where they are. You know, Kane normally has his about seven weeks off of his ankle injury and he didn't do it this season, which I was shocked. Um, whatever Conte's pumping into his uh pedding up his players allegedly. <laughs> um I don't know, but yeah, Kane and Son, I'm you know, I hate saying this. I really do hate saying this, but they are good players. Son, Son is phenomenal. And I'm still shocked that he's at Spurs still. I'm really shocked that someone hasn't come in for him. Um there's a name that I really want to call him, God bless you Steve, but you know I don't wanna um be cancelled but um, <laughs> I, I, I honestly think that those two, without those two they would not be where they are like at all and a manager can come in who knows what kind of changes or what kind of um, people he would have played or systems but definitely Kane and Son are the reason why Spurs are where they are right now yeah. Danny would you agree with that? Yeah um, yes I would that's easy isn't it? Wow look at that are you feeling okay, Danny? Because you like you answered the question really quickly, and you didn't, right. you know, you didn't waffle on. You're it's looking Ellis. It's, it's looking Ellis. His beautiful face that's just. Don't call him me. beautiful. I haven't. I haven't been on the podcast with him for so long. He hasn't been on a podcast with anybody. He's done one this season. Bloody kids! I know. <laughs> as if, as if, honestly, having a child. He didn't even have it. He won't even have had it. Exactly. Terrible. Cool. Yeah. Um, I will just quickly say on this, uh, on Conti, um, I loved him when he was at Inter because obviously he won us the league. 
But yeah. uh, watch Spurs absolutely shit the bed in Europe because Antonio Conte cannot manage a team in Europe. Um, so expect them to fall apart next season. But yeah, definitely Kane and Son were the difference. Um, one from Divyan Rajivad. I've probably butchered your name. I'm sorry. I can't even say it. it you know, just I'm awful at English. Um, would things be any different if we got 2022 Arteta as the manager back in 2019, Danny? Yeah, that's a good point because I'm saying we, we've seen him evolve as a, as a manager. He's still... He still likes his little huddles when somebody goes down, which I think he should brand that because uh, they should have an advert break around whatever they're drinking and eating at the time and, and have that flashing up with some kind of sponsorship. But his, uh, yeah, his substitutions, he's doing them more when they need them. It still needs to work. Well, he's a manager, I'm not. But if I was playing championship manager, football manager, and I was doing it and had the same scenarios, I would make substitutions sooner. Um, he he tends to I mean, his treatment of Tavares for an up and coming young player has, has been chronic taking him off twice before half time and then needing a left back and then playing Tommy at left back and and then playing Cedric at right back and things like that whether it's the right decision to do or not that you're not going to do a young man's confidence any good if you were treating him like that and some of the ways that the way he's trying to stamp his authority onto something, where Wenger would automatically get respect from everybody, the ways that Arteta tries to get respect from the players and the fans and everything is, uh, I think, sometimes he's better at it in 2022. The old chin up, pucker up, when he was doing that, when the, the, the fourth referee was telling him off, back in the day, he'd have been sent off for that. He'd have done something else and been sent off. Now he just keeps quiet and walks off. He's learning how to play the game, John. Um, Carl, just sort of coming on from that question and spinning it a little bit, um, can you see improvements as our, our, in Arteta as a manager since he first started with Arsenal? Of course, but I think he walked into a pile of shit when he came in. Let's get rid of all the, he had to get rid of all the Bundesliga bastards. He had like the whole Urzel thing. You know, do you know what I mean? Like he he definitely walked into to turn and. That took up maybe a lot of his time as well. His man management, could it be a little bit better? Yeah, 100%. But with, you know, with every game that he plays, it's more experience, isn't it? So for me, yeah, he, he's he's going to improve. He's tactically, does he need to improve a little bit better? Yeah. And this is like me saying this, you know, the only tactical up now so I've got is playing Football manager. I did win the league with Real Madrid, by the way. Just want to put that out there. But um, <laughs> oh, because that's hard. <laughs> you, you never seen Barcelona. I had to give up on Arsenal. I had to um, leave them because got my nerves. They would have given me Cronky would have given me money. Uh, oh, I, asked, well. I asked for more transfer funds. He told me no, so I decided to leave. And Real Madrid wanted to uh, hire me, so I did. Mikel Arteta um, wouldn't leave, Carl. <laughs> No, he'd, he'd, sign sneak <laughs> he'd sneak off to America and sign a new contract. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I think you know what I mean. Like every every day, every day that he's an Arsenal manager, he gains more experience, yes. and he will become better. His man management skills or style will be better. You know, he's he just needs time unfortunately but you know in football you don't get time it's just something you just don't get yeah as a, that was a very very good question um I, I personally for me i do think he has improved 
um, particularly with his substitutions. He still gets things wrong, and I think he still will. Arsene Wenger is probably our best manager ever, and he managed to cock things up all the time still. So, uh, I thought people are human and they make mistakes. It's amazing. You can't have perfection in football. Who knew that? Um, one I love from... this comment from Gary before you do the next one. Uh, Gary puts it? improvements question marks. Jacques left back didn't work the first time and the second time. Please no more. He could have done it <laughs> the third time and the fourth time. I mean, to be fair. It was Jacker or Tavares. <laughs> it's a coin flip. I think he just flipped a coin and just went heads at Xhaka, tails at Tavares. Oh, all right, granite gone, off you hop. You're at left back today. Uh, Nick Wilson, um, are Newcastle going to be a threat in the next few years? They are already bought Bruno Grameres from under us. I don't know if I agree to say they bought him from under us. That was paper reporting that we were interested. And if that's true, Carl, what do you reckon? I think Newcastle are going to be a threat sooner rather than later. And the reason why I say this is that Man City were the blueprint of trying to get players into England. Because at the time, you know, it was all about Chelsea, Arsenal and Man United. Man, Man City has, has been the blueprint that you can come to um, England to a shit club. They're not Newcastle, not shit. Um, but and, and get success quickly. Newcastle have a shit ton of money and they will be throwing money around like nobody's business. Like they have they haven't spent money for the last what three, four years. So their fair play, um, financial fair play, if that even still exists, is so low they could spend so much money because they haven't spent none for a while. And I think they are literally gonna be just spending stupid amounts of money. I'm not saying that's all going to work. I'm not saying all the players that they buy is going to gel quickly, but they are going to go for, like this season, they are definitely going to go for a striker and a name brand striker at that, 100%. They're going to go for some sort of name brand, uh, I say name brand, but I'm talking about well-known defender as well, 100%. Probably a name brand goalkeeper as well. So once you've got all those figures in place, and maybe Eddie Howe's not even the man to be that, that person, because can't you just see it that in November, uh, December, Mourinho going there? Like you can, you can just see. Oh yeah, yeah, that's funny. the thing. Yeah. Eddie Howe, Eddie Howe loses maybe two or three games on the bounce. They've already tapped up Mourinho. Mourinho said he'll come. He'll go to Newcastle, like hundred percent, because he's got unlimited funds. So, but I do honestly think that they're going to be a problem before before we think. And I'm, like I said, I don't think it's all going to gel straight away, but they're going to have the players 100%. So it, it, it's worrying, I, I think, a little bit because we can't compete with... We can't compete with Man United for players because they're richer than us. We can't compete with Man City. We can't compete with Chelsea. Well, we'll talk about that later, but we can't compete with Newcastle. So at the moment... You know, Liverpool are going to be Liverpool. So next season, you could potentially be seeing six, seven, eight teams going for the top four or the top, uh, the bottom half of the top four because yeah. the top two are always going to be the top two, aren't they, at, yeah, at yeah. the moment? So for third and fourth, you're talking maybe six clubs, which is going to be, yeah, a little bit hard. Yeah. 
Um, Danny, any thoughts on Newcastle? Besides, I, I like the club and the fans. I feel happy that they can possibly win a trophy, but also fuck them. I was <laughs> delighted when Man City became the club they are because it stopped um, Man United and Chelsea and all those other teams <laughs> that I hate. And I don't care if Man City win stuff. And I was quite happy with that. And I quite like Newcastle. I like I like the I like the people. I like the ground. I like the history. I like the, uh, the whole Kevin Keegan thing. And that makes me even more happy that they're going to go and ruin it for all the others because they're going to have in. They've got more money. The owners of Man City of uh, Newcastle have got more money than all the Premier League teams put together. In fact, you could probably say for every single club in the world, they've got more money than if you add them all up, apart from maybe PSG. So I think PSG's owners have got a hell of a lot of money. But the money they've got, they could buy every single club in England and Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland, Republic of Ireland and Belgium and Holland. and So they're, they're going to win everything. And it's just a matter of time until they get bored of winning everything. And they'll get a manager who's not a bottle job and will be actually be able to go and win the Champions League. So then they're not going to get Poch because he can't do it. They're not going to go and get um, Pep because we all know Pep's a fraud. <laughs> And that's copyrighted to Chris, 2016. And uh, I don't know who they're going to go. Could they even go and get Klopp if they offer him enough money? That'd be fucking hilarious if they, (laughs) you know, money talks. I mean, what other managers are out there? Because Eddie's not going to do it. It won't be long before Eddie's gone. He was brought in there to steady the ship, and and get them away from relegation. And he's done that. Um, it's going to be Mourinho. It's, it's Mourinho. It's because this job has got Mourinho's name read all over it. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think they'll like next season. Even if they spend a load of money, it will be like early days Man City when it was the previous owners. Remember when they got um, Man City? <laughs> oh, who they signed like Robinho and people like yeah. that. And he, he was at the press conference and he said, I'm so happy to join Chelsea because he didn't know what club he actually signed for. Because <laughs> he'd clearly just gone for the money. It, They're going to want a marking signing, aren't they? Yeah, 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 they will. But I, I don't think next season is going to be the thing. Like, they might have a really good run of games. They've been in really good form since they turned it round. Um, but I think like, next season, you start fresh again. And I think the weight of expectation on the club and from the fans, and because of the money they'll undoubtedly spend in the summer, they'll probably overpay for people and uh, they'll, they'll mess some things up at the start. But I think it will be a couple of seasons before they're like, proper contenders for top four I don't think they'll do it next season I just think it's too big a jump in in one season especially with Eddie Howe as manager but yeah I make you right Carl that yeah probably Mourinho will end up there at some point um, right two more quick ones and then um, I'm going to do my annoying thing to give everyone a bit more false hope um, quick uh, another one from Julian Salmons best chance of getting into Champions League next season winning the Europa League or top four Danny Europa League Carl? Agreed. Uh, yeah, I would have to say Europa League. I think it's probably easier to win a cup competition than it is to get the top four. And one from DWTT. I assume Gary. this is um, for next season he's talking about. This doesn't really apply for the season. Um, does Arteta keep his job if uh, A, he gets top eight but wins the FA Cup or B, top six and uh, EFL Cup? Uh, Danny C neither they want top five top four maybe and he, and I don't think they care about the FA Cup or about the League Cup it's uh, the only way you can keep your job is by keep getting Arsenal into the Champions League and if you don't do that it's bye bye Arteta 
one way or another. Carl? Um, no, apart from Chelsea, no one's ever sacked a manager for winning a trophy. So it's <laughs> true. We've done that a few times. Yeah, so I, I think if he wins a trophy, any trophy, whether it be EFL Cup yeah. or FA Cup, I think he keeps his job. Yeah. Um, I think it's a lot harder if, like, after this season, he, like, slipped back down to eighth again and then, like, won the FA Cup. If he was FA Cup, then, yeah, maybe. If he was, like, slipped down to eighth again and he won the League Cup, yeah, there's maybe a chance, but I, I still think it's quite slim. Um, didn't Chelsea sack Ancelotti and he won the double? Was it that yeah. season? It was. He won yeah. the double and they sacked it. Yeah. And yeah. the Rafa Benitez yeah. won in the League Cup. Yeah. I mean, no, the UEFA Cup. Di Matteo yeah. won and the Champions then... League and got fired. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, they, they, they fucking hate you, Dan. They'd love some shitty managers there. Yeah. Um, right. So we were about to go, but then Danny reminded me, uh, reminded us both earlier about uh, a story about Chelsea. Um <laughs> So Chelsea are obviously at the moment they've got the weird sanctions around them, but they're allowed to operate, and there's the sale possibly going through to the owner of the LA. Oh God, what's the basketball team? LA Lakers. There we go. No, I know stuff about Raptors. Is it Lakers or is it Raptors? No, I might be Raptors. Sorry, I thought it was the guy from the Lakers for some reason. Um, was the link, but um, I believe it's someone else. Anyway, Dodgers. 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 There we go. Yeah. Okay. Um, so. They're the, they're, that's the person at the moment is looking at um, buying buying out Chelsea. There is the issue around a one and a half billion loan, which is from another company, which essentially is <coughs> Abramovich's, and it's it really it's his money, but they did it that way to get around the rules and whatever. But everyone knows how Chelsea are funded. The problem they've got at the moment is that there's only a gentleman's agreement in place that that money will never be requested back by either Abramovich himself or the charity that's being set up to raise funds and part of the proceeds is going to go to help victims of what's going on in Ukraine. The government are now saying, the government in the UK, sorry, are now saying that unless there is a watertight legally binding agreement that that money will never be claimed and claimed back in any way or attempted to be claimed back, um, then they will not allow this sale to go through. If the sale doesn't go through within a certain date, um, and I believe the special licence that the government granted to Chelsea um, is until the end of May, if the sale doesn't go through before then, then there's serious questions about not just are they allowed to stay in the Premier League, but that also affects their status within UEFA as well. Are they allowed to stay in the Champions League? All these things. Now, look, don't get me wrong, UEFA would want to keep Chelsea in there because they're a big club and they draw money in and they've got fans all around the world. And the Premier League, I'm sure, would love to keep Chelsea in the league as well. But at some point, because of the seriousness of the sanctions that are being put on Russia and Russian citizens around, not just in the UK, but around the world, things have to be done and organisations have to be seen to be doing things. And if this gets held up for too long, there is a genuine chance that Chelsea, one, get booted out of the Champions League anyway. Like the Russian teams. <clears throat> yeah, which if that happens, what then happens to the fourth spot for the Premier League teams? Does Ooh. someone who's in fifth place perhaps get bumped up Ooh. to fourth? Or is it done on a coefficient or something from the 
The weird thing is, if it was done on a coefficient basis for the Premier League sides, Man United would actually end up with the spot, <laughs> which is fucking hilarious. Um, but if they did it on league positions, then Arsenal would end up with it. Um, obviously, if Chelsea were kicked out of the Premier League because of the not being able to sell and everything, then every team would bump up one slot. Um that would also cause issues in terms of relegation and things like that for down at the bottom and promotion from the championship. So, yeah, there's um, there's a lot around this at the moment. And I'll be honest, I'm definitely not smart enough. I know Carl was very smart. Danny's not. Um, but none of us three are in the financial savvy or understand what the fuck is going to happen with this. You know who we need, didn't you? We need him. Oh, well... Yeah, Steve. we do. Yeah, Steve would be very good on this. I th- this would be this would be yeah. the perfect thing for Steve and Mister Fife, mm-hmm. just to have. It would be like um, finance chat. There. Yeah, finance chat with the smart boys. Got five well. yeah. <laughs> would be perfect. Um, but yeah, it's just something to keep your eyes on from now to the end of May, and just um, <clears throat> just just keep a watch on it because. It could have a big, not just effect on on Arsenal, uh, on us, but like on the Premier League, on UEFA, and lots of other things going on. But um, I would say it would be fucking hilarious if they got booted out and we got the place by default because of their owner who came in, the man who came in and ruined football in the Premier League with all his money. And the season, we were so close and we just missed out with this paper-thin squad and like young talent that we developed properly through an academy we hadn't spent fortunes of money on. And we got in because that scumbag got all his money from, well, everyone knows where he got his money from. So, yeah, just a, just a nice little happy thought if it happens. <laughs> Wouldn't you just love it? Like, imagine like, <laughs> imagine, like we, we just miss out, like Tottenham win, we win, and then yeah, everyone's all sad and everyone's all Arteta out and blah, blah, blah. And then breaking news on Sky Sports, hmm. UEFA hmm. have kicked Chelsea out of <laughs> Champions League. Yeah. And then... It's, yeah, it's, it's, a, yeah it's, a, it's a massive long shot. And of course, there's, like, there's money involved. And obviously the government don't want to lose out on, you know, it's it would look bad if they let Chelsea go to the wall and all that sort of thing. And... But yeah, it's it's just an interesting thing to watch and see what's going on. It, again, that's that happening is probably an even slimmer chance than um, than <laughs> Norwich beating Tottenham. But it did make me laugh when I was reading about it today because I kind of I'd sort of forgotten about it by this point. But yeah, uh, who's in the something happened in Italy this week, and they said no matter what happens in European competitions, Italy are not having any more than eight sides. Because that, that means that there won't be an Italian team in the Europa Conference League next season. So they've already made a decision about that. But I don't think there's any Italian teams. I just looked at the Europa final. It's not them. I don't know who's in the, the Europa Conference League final. Roma. That's not uh, it's Roma. Yeah, it's ah, Roma. Yeah. I think so. If Roma win that, then they get promoted to the Europa League. Mm-hmm. And then they've got their maximum allowance in the, in the competition. So they are they are moving things around. But... Yeah. I don't think, but they have got precedent of um, of, of banning Russian teams, and it does mm-hmm. look like what's going on over there isn't ending anytime soon, mm-hmm. and so they're going to have to keep squeezing and squeezing. Is, the I, I thought Scotland was going to get mm-hmm. an extra place. 
So irrespective yeah. of whether irrespective of what the Russian teams that are out. Yeah, yeah, I think that so, was for the Russian teams, yeah. Yeah, they get an extra place for the Champions League. So if so if I know Rangers are sorry, Celtic are champions, so they automatically go into the is it qualifying rounds or do they go straight no they go straight in, don't they? I think they go think, straight in now. And then if Rangers win, then they go into the qualifying round, don't they? Yeah. Something like that is it's very strange, but yeah, the the thing with the Italian clubs, Danny, is because Roma are already in a Europa League spot. Mm. So if they win the Conference League final, then it will get bumped down. And I think at the moment, uh, God, who's? I think it's Atalanta. It's Atalanta or someone like that. Is um, I'm going to have a look now. Well, we need Atalanta to win at the weekend because if they beat Milan. Fours are in to win another fucking title. It is, yeah. So at the moment, it's uh, yeah, Atalanta are eighth, so they would get a spot uh, in Europe. Um, so you know these new proposed, you know the new proposed rules that the um, Super League liked um, because let's face it, it is basically you ever want to change the Champions League? Yeah, yeah. And it's just a remix for Super League. So it goes on the country who wins it. They get an extra place, isn't it? I believe. So let's say Liverpool would, let's just say it was the new rules and Liverpool won it this season. Mm. Would England then get a fifth spot in the Champions League? Um, I think that's how it works. Because I've said there's never so, more than five. Yeah, it's so confusing now. Um, but I think that would only. Yeah, I think in this case we would get it, but if for some reason there was if there was an English team in the Europa League final and they won, then the fifth place team might not necessarily get it if that team that won it was like lower than the top five. It's really fucking. Oh, they yeah. make it so complicated so yeah. they can change it at any point and go, no, 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 we meant this. You don't understand. Oh, every I know we've gone on now way past when we were supposed to finish, but it's just. <laughs> If anyone remembers the football hipsters when it was on regularly, oh, every Lord. season when we started, <laughs> I had to go through the fucking rule book from UEFA for qualifying for that and the Europa League. And I had to try and explain it in a way that made sense to anyone. And I would sit there for hours just go, this is complete nonsense. Honestly, I don't know who wrote it. Amber Heard's lawyers probably wrote it. Honestly, that, we could do, <laughs> mate, we could do, that's that's a pod, that's that's I tell you what, fuck the World Cup podcast. Amber Heard, Johnny Depp trial will be all over. We can do a review, six week review. I don't, I do not watch, I do not watch reality TV. Right, I watched the first Big Brother that was ever on in the UK, and then I didn't watch another thing afterwards. I was like, that one was all right, and then afterwards I was like, no, this is all shit. That trial, that the week they had off last week. I was in bits. I had nothing to do. I was so bored. <laughs> Monday comes back on. I'm loving it. Let's go. Cross-examination. This is the shit. If you're not on that, seriously, get on that stuff. It's fucking Lara. She is absolutely psychotic. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Anyway, I've waffled right. for long enough now. <laughs> yeah, so basically... I've got a gentleman's nod, Carl, when you, when you do them. I was going to say, basically, John has given us false hope. What he's done... He's like a mm-hmm. like, like, like a girl. He's invited us back to Netflix and chill, and you think you've got a chance. And then just when you think you're going to get in there, the girl says, "No, I'm actually just going to watch Netflix." So you think you're about to get in there, and then all of a sudden, it's nothing. Oh, John, I'm sure. Well, you probably haven't been there, but you know, some of us have. Uh, oh no, no, it, it happens to the best of us. Honestly, oh, bullshit. No one believes you. 
That's true. John. They fall at it's, your feet. No, it's normally I give false hope to the women that, ah, oh, he might have a relationship with me, or even if they don't <laughs> want a relationship, he might be sexually satisfying. And I just enjoy myself and leave. Um, yeah, there you go. So great advert for myself as well. But... <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, we're going to do, we're gonna do uh, gentlemen's nods or um, shout-outs. Uh, you've got one, Danny, so yep. you go first. One, I'll um i'm not gonna say who's who it is but um tommy has left us very very sad day if anyone's a pet owner and it's one of my pets ken i had to have him put down in 2011 and i still can't look at pictures of him and it's a horrible thing to do so um yeah we're all thinking about you yeah uh john have you got anyone um, I just want to say uh, hashtag me poo team Johnny. Um, <laughs> no, um, no, I do actually have a real one. Um, a young lady who's been on the podcast. Um, I thought Danny was lying to me the other day because I do not listen to all of our podcasts. So <laughs> I frankly do not have time. And how long did this go on for? We going, John? Yeah. You're not allowed to chatter up or whatever it was. Yeah. I was, I was quite surprised because he said, "Did you, did you like the lady on the preview show?" And I went and watched the latest preview show, and it was Chris. And I was like, "Oh, she, she's a, <laughs> she, she's a bit hairy, but you know, she, she seems like she knows some stuff about football." Then Danny went, "No, you tit." I went, "An actual woman," and I thought he was joking, but he wasn't. Um, and she was very good. I went and listened to it. Um, so it's nice to have a lady back on the podcast because we haven't had one like for a while. And I'm assuming she's two. Be... We had she... two others this season. We've had Sophie and Amanda, but yeah. apart from that, but you know, um, I'm assuming she's going to be coming back, Danny, at some point. Yes, message yeah. today. She said, "I'd love to come back and do more." I said, "Yeah, we can have you on a lot more next yeah. season." But right with all the good ones, she'll get stolen by somebody else. <laughs> oh yes, I already, I already saw she's on a different podcast tonight. <laughs> Oh, she's very, very she's, good. Yeah, there you go. Um, so, yeah, if you don't follow her on Twitter, it's uh, at Sen Sketches. So it's S-E-N-E Sketches, S-K-E-T-C-H-E-S. Um, even if you don't listen, uh, don't want to listen to her on a podcast, which is very rude because you should do. Um, she was fun and she laughs at Danny a lot because everyone does. Uh, she also does amazing portraits. So you should go and check yeah, out her store. Absolutely. They're absolutely brilliant. And she's got some really cool time lapse um, videos of her of her painting them and stuff and the sketches. They're really good. So yeah, check her out. Okay, that's good. Uh, mine's going to go to uh, another lady, uh, uh, Johnstone underscore Kate One. Uh, she's definitely a friend of the podcast. Retweets oh. everything that we do. Um, I interact with her on Twitter as well. So yeah, go and give her a follow. Uh, and she's also a massive F1 fan and likes Lewis Hamilton. Shut up, Danny. I don't want to hear boo. you. Like, yeah, boo. Yeah, I, I agree with the boo. Yeah. <laughs> Look at him now, yeah. Carl. He hasn't got the best car and he's throwing all of his toys out of his cockpit. Stamping <laughs> his feet he hasn't got the best car. I'll fight Wait, you over Danny. this. <laughs> when, the, when we finally have the ABW BBQ, there's lots of letters there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to fight you, Carl, because I'm at the chance last time, but as you're eight foot five, you, you scared me. So I've been on growth hormone. Should do a charity boxing match and Carl has to do it on his knees just to level the fight out of it. I've already said I'm to put a stick in between his wheel so he can't move. Do you know what? I'll I, I tell you what, yeah, I lost my shit 
when the other day when he said, um, oh, I've been at the traffic, I've been at the traffic light for two hours, and then John goes, Did someone steal your wheels? I lost my shit. I read it and I couldn't stop laughing. It did. That John made me that like, tickle. It's just time. honestly, knowing knowing Danny's uh not only his mum, but also his daughter, it wouldn't surprise me if either of them had done it, especially because I know how exactly how Danny behaves when he's outside with either of them. So he probably deserved it. <laughs> Very mean to me. This is the picture <laughs> that you were talking about. Um, I'll get it up and then people can see why you thought. Because I put a little picture. I sat here for three hours in Huntington the other day, eating some food, and I just sit there. There uh, goes where the bus is coming from, God Manchester, and I'm in Huntington. And then I sit there for hours just watching the traffic. And I saw three people on the mobile phones and two Ninors in three hours. There you go. Do, do some nice cars really? went by. I only sit there when the weather's nice. I see my friends go by and people wave. It's amazing the amount of people that see me sitting there and wave to me. I'm thinking, all right. They they probably think, oh, look. He's lost. That poor (laughs) bloke, he's been let out for the day. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Right, on that note, let's let's end this. Uh, John, the voice of reason, you're always, as always, uh, brilliant. Thank you, John. Thank you, Carl. It was nice to be back on a pod with you again, mate. Definitely. Uh, Danny, I'm not thanking you. You have to be here. I'm sick of you moaning, talking about you've done 4,000 podcasts, and then you go and do one on a Sunday and go and pimp yourself out to another podcast. So your body, your choice, Danny. Sorry, Carl. No, you're not. Uh, Rangers are one up. Oh, well done, Rangers. Um, okay, on that note, uh, thank you everyone for listening, all reader, listeners, readers, watchers, much appreciated. Uh, we will do a preview podcast for the Everton one. Danny will no doubt shout us for being on that one. We will do a post-podcast at Everton and then we'll do a season roundup next week, I'm assuming, at some point. We've got the uh, predictions we'll... one to come out. I've already recorded that. So that will right. come out after the final game of the season. Okay. Which is funny. Oh, gosh. Oh, oh God. It'll be funny. Someone looks very smart on that predictions podcast, just want to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm sure they do. Um, yeah. And then we'll do a season roundup of everyone. Chris will get Chris on. He can have his gripe and his moans about the season. Josh, hopefully, his internet is back on. Uh, John, we have everyone on. Everyone can come on, Danny. It'll all be a pie. It will be, and then I'll be the only one there. Oh, see, Me and my see what I mean? Do you see how he moans <laughs> people? Like, we're not lying when he says in our WhatsApp group, he just moans. But we love him, really. Um, anyone, thank you. And this has been uh, Burkamp Wonder and Arsenal podcast. Keep the faith. John reckons we're going to qualify for the Champions League, even if there's a minuscule chance. And if we don't, uh, please tweet him and ask him why we didn't qualify for the Champions League. Everyone, take care. See you later. And always remember, hashtag fuck Ellis. Hashtag me poo. As soon as I scored that goal, I was fucking livid. Splendid business. Get down, dog. <laughs>